There we go. All right. <clears throat> well, can we just uh, join with me in a word of prayer as we begin the message? Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that uh, you always come to church. Jesus, when we come, we, we know for certain that you'll be here because you promise that you, you're in their midst when we gather together in your name. And Lord, I just pray that you'd help me communicate what you put on my heart in a way that makes sense, that's understandable, and is helpful for everyone here. In Jesus' name, amen. So I'm teaching on, on giving, on thanksgiving, and I spent a whole week on, on the first week on gratitude and really thankfulness and how that's related to, to uh, um, generosity and how they both uh, interact. Um, and it went more into depth last week. Bless you. I'm sorry. I know, that's what happens when you talk about money. Uh, last week I talked about just general principles of giving in the New Testament, but today we really want to dive into the issue of tithing and whether it's appropriate in the New Testament. Uh, our understanding, though, is that our, our, the whole uh, series is based on that gratitude, having thankfulness in your heart, it's a heart motivation, positions you as an individual, positions us to receive from God and from others. And so if you're really full of gratitude, if you're really thankful in your heart, you're in the right place that God can just pour out blessing on you, but you'll also find favor from everyone else. Uh, and the opposite of that, if you're unthankful, then, then people don't want to give to you. God doesn't want to release a blessing in someone who's unthankful or ungrateful or, or, or have, has a, an attitude of entitlement. Like, you know, it's mine. Why haven't you given it to me yet? And that, that's, that's the opposite of gratitude. And so, but gratitude positions you as a receiver. And generosity, actually being a generous person, uh, um, generates gratitude. When you give, you know, people say thank you. <laughs> that's a real simple uh, example of it. But also, um, you know, the more generous a uh, lifestyle you can live, you're, you're just uh, uh, sowing, gener uh, that generosity sows gratefulness in other people's lives which brings glory blessing into their life and you'll also find yourself being more uh, grateful as you live a generous life there's just a dynamic that happens and it's all about koinonia koinonia is a greek word that's used in the new testament for fellowship and you know most of you think of fellowship as oh yeah it's nice we're hanging out it's coffee and donuts um, but it really means more than that it's really the word that kind of encapsulates the uh, relationship that we are to have as the body of Christ, as believers together. It's the defining word that, that uh, uh, God uses to kind of sum up what it means to be part of the church. And there's three basic uh, meanings to the word koinonia. And one is participation, that you actually are an active participant. Um, and our goal as a church in this message and just as just my ministry is, is you know, we really want, and I, I ask you to, to join with me in this goal, that our church would have 100% koinonia, so 100% participation. You know, it's great for people to come and, and guests that come just to, maybe they're in town or they're looking for a new church, they, they visit, you know, they show up for a service or two. But when you, when you become a member, you become joined, then you participate. Uh, and that means you get more out of it because you're a participant and not just an observer. The second part of koinonia is intimacy. And so I think fellowship often could be translated in the New Testament friendship. It's intimacy. It's, it's relationship that we actually have, are we're doing life together. 
And that's such an important part of understanding that church is not just a place you go to to hear teaching, but you're a, you're a, a group of people that you're doing life together and, and, and a call to intimacy. And the last one is contribution, which literally means financial donations, okay, a collection as exhibiting an embodiment and proof of fellowship. In other words, putting your, the money, you know, uh, money where your mouth is. You know, it's not just saying you have a relationship, but dem- it's a demonstration of the relationship. But everyone has a, has a part to share, and everyone has uh, something to give, and everyone has uh, the in- aspect of love and relationship. So I want 100% everyone being involved in all three aspects of koinonia is the goal. So this message is really going to be more of a teaching. I just hope to cover some scriptures, kind of explain to you some of these scriptures, maybe a little different than what I normally do. I don't know if I'm a preacher or teacher. I, I, I don't know anymore. I, I feel I like to preach more than teach, but <clears throat> I used to be a good teacher. All right. So one of the ways to understand something in scripture, uh, principle of Bible study, is the first mention. Okay, so if you want to research a topic in the Bible, find where it's mentioned first. And almost, not every time, but most times, especially significant ideas, there's, there's a big revelation uh, attached to the first mention. And so when you find where the first place is mentioned in Scripture, it kind of lays the foundation for everything else that's revealed in Scripture on that topic. So the first time tithe is mentioned in the Bible is in Genesis 14, 18 through 20. Tithe, by the way, means 10%. Simple. It's all it means is 10%, a tenth. Um, it's, uh, so in Genesis 14, 18 through 20, we're just going to read this. Um, this is uh, Abraham had, had just fought a war. He had taken his, his, his little private army. Wouldn't it be great to have a private army? Cool. <laughs> huh? Yeah, well, that's, that's true. I guess it's good not to have a... That <laughs> means we don't need one. <laughs> so he took his army and, and fought uh, uh, some kings and, and won. And in those days, when you won a war, you took everything back with you. You took all the spoils of war. <clears throat> and, uh, and he was returning from this uh, conquest. And Melchizedek, this is verse 18, Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was the priest of God Most High. And he blessed him and said, Blessed be Abram of God Most High, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And he, Abraham, gave him, because Melchizedek, a tithe of all. Wow. So here's the, an interaction between this mysterious figure in the Old Testament, only mentioned a few times, Melchizedek, and Abraham, who is the father of, 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 of faith, but also the father of the entire uh, nation of Israel. All Jews looked to Abraham as their, their, their founding father. Uh, this happened about 430 years before Moses and before the giving of the Mosaic Law, or the Old Testament as we call it. Right? And one of the interesting things is that a lot of people misunderstand tithing is that they think it was part of the law. And, and although it is in the law, it predates the law by 430 years. It was a practice that was already established long before it became an aspect of the Old Testament Mosaic law. So let's jump into the New Testament and read some, uh, and get an understanding from the New Testament about this interaction. So we're going to go to Hebrews 
chapter 5, uh, 5 and 6, verse 5 and 6, chapter 5, verse 5. Uh, now, one thing you need to know also is that the book of Hebrews was written to the Hebrews. <laughs> Tricky, isn't it? <laughs> well, who are the Hebrews? Hebrews are people that speak Hebrew. All right? And those would be what we normally call the Jewish people, the Jewish nation. And so the whole book of the Hebrews was written to Hebrews, people that, were, that grew up and, and were part of that uh, culture that lived out the Old Testament, that had the sacrifices and Moses and the law and, and went to the temple and all that. And it really is a, a book that helps us understand how the Old Testament integrates and is fulfilled by the New Testament. That's its primary purpose. Not only helping Jews understand it, but helping you as, as, as a Christian now. You have, you know, most of the Bible is that thing called the Old Testament. Does that still apply? Yeah, how? Hebrews, actually the whole of the New Testament explains how it applies. But Hebrews specifically zeroes in on certain issues of the Old Covenant and how it's connected to the New Covenant and how we're supposed to live it out as Christians, as, as children, as followers of Christ. So, um, so we're going to zoom in in the, in the book that talks about uh, relating to the Old Covenant to the part that de deals with the tithe. And that uh, begins here in verse 5 of chapter 5. It says, So also Christ did not glorify himself to become high priest, but it was he who said of him, this is he being God uh, 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 in, in a prophetic word. He's quoting an Old Testament prophecy concerning the Messiah. <clears throat> You are my son, today I have begotten you. And he also says in another place, You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Both of those all cap uh, quotations are, are found in the Old Testament. And they were prophecies concerning the Messiah. And the writer of Hebrews is saying, Hey, this is fulfilled in the person Jesus Christ. Jesus is now the high priest, not because he was a son of Levi, not because he was a descendant of of Levi, which the, the, the Levites were the priests in the Old Testament. If you're of the tribe of Levi, you were born a priest, okay? Because all the priests were Levites. Jesus wasn't a Levite, okay? And so his priesthood, he's declared a priest, not because he was a Levite, but because of the relationship that he has, that he has declared a son, all right? He's the son of God. Um, uh, and so his priesthood is based on the fact that he's a son and the prophetic uh, announcement in the Old Testament that he was going to be a priest, not according to Levi, but according to this other order, Melchizedek. Melchizedek's priesthood existed before uh, Levi was ever around or Aaron, right? Or Moses hundreds and hundreds of years earlier. And so it's kind of interesting that here Abraham, the father of the Jewish faith, the father of the whole Jewish nation, and to all believers look to as the father of faith, uh, our religion, actually, he wasn't the only one that knew the real God at that time. There was this other fellow called Melchizedek, who was actually the priest of the real God, the God that Abraham was worshiping. You know, and... and, uh, and and it's that interaction that uh, explains a lot about of how this all works and how, how Jesus comes in and can be a priest and yet not be uh, a Levite. Uh, not only was the fact that uh, it was prophesied about Jesus that he was a son, 
But that was declared at his baptism too, wasn't it? When he came out of the water, God spoke, uh, you know, this is my son, my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And so there was a prophetic declaration that he was a son. Hebrews 7, this whole chapter uh, talks about it. We're just going to zoom in on a couple of passages. We're going to jump now to Hebrews 7, 1 through 22. I'm going to read the first few verses, talk about it, and then talk about the rest of it. So uh, verse 1 says, For this Melchizedek, so he's going more into depth about the, the person Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being translated king of righteousness, in other words, it's translating uh, uh, who Melchizedek uh, was, king of righteousness, and then also king of Salem, meaning king of peace, without father, without mother, without genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but made like the Son of God, remains a priest continually. All right, so he's looking at Melchizedek, and, and basically this passage is saying, look, folks, this Melchizedek is a type or a picture of the Messiah. All of these characteristics, he, we have no uh, knowledge of Melchizedek's uh, genealogy. All right. We don't know his mother. We don't know his father. We, and we don't, we don't, never says anything about him dying. So for all practical purposes, he's still alive. Now, from your point of view, that might sound ridiculous, but from the Jewish uh, mindset, knowing the genealogy was everything. Knowing your genealogy determined who you were, what job you had, what position you had amongst all of the, in the nation. It was extremely important to understand the genealogy. And here's this character that there is no genealogy, genealogy uh, known of. He just shows up and he's a priest. All right? And he has no mother or father. And he's comparing Melchizedek. He's saying, listen, Melchizedek is actually a type or a picture of, of Jesus Christ. The word Melchizedek actually um, means the justifier of those who dwell in him. The little translation from one source that I read uh, says that uh, that's what that name, in a, in a literal sense, is the justifier of those who dwell in him. Who does that remind you of? Yeah, when we're in Christ, we're justified. We're made right in Christ. Yeah, he's called the king of righteousness. He's called the king of priests. Uh, peace. Both of those are titles of Messiah. Uh, Salem, uh, king of Salem, uh, uh, is a reference most likely to Jerusalem. Um, so all of these different things are, are, are uh, characteristics that are in the Messiah. Now, the one thing we know for certain is that Melchizedek represents Jesus Christ. What we really don't know is if the writer was saying he just represents these characteristics. He was a real person that represented these characteristics. Or if he was actually what's called a theophany, uh, which is an appearance of God in bodily form in the Old, Old Testament. And there's a, whole, there's a whole number of them. And so... Um, uh, this could be, this king of, of, of peace could literally have been Jesus meeting Abraham. And whether he was literally or figuratively, it just doesn't matter because that's the point of the whole passage. Uh, Hebrews is telling us what that passage meant in the Old Covenant, what the interaction 
why it's in the Bible, why it was recorded, and why it's so significant is that it was Jesus showing up. And so we're, we're seeing an interaction between uh, Abraham and Jesus. <clears throat> Pretty intense, huh? So verse 4, So now consider how great this man was, to whom even the patriarch Abraham gave a tenth of, of all the spoils. There's no one greater in, in, the, in the history of the Jewish people than Abraham. He's the founder. He's the one that started the whole thing. Right? But this Melchizedek was greater to the point where Abraham demonstrated that by giving him uh, a tithe, a tenth of all that he had. And indeed, those who, were sons, those who are sons of Levi, uh, all the descendants of Levi, who received the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes tithes from the people according to the law, that is, from their brethren, though they have come from the loins of Abraham. But he's, he, whose genealogy is not derived uh, from them, received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promises. Now beyond all contradiction, the lesser is blessed by the better. It's an important part. He's just making the thing that um, the lesser is blessed by the better. And so if, if um, Melchizedek blessed Abraham, that means that Melchizedek had something that Abraham didn't have. He had something to give him. It's an acknowledgement that Melchizedek, and, and Abraham tithing to Melchizedek is Abraham demonstrating by a very significant action that he saw Melchizedek as greater than him. All right? <clears throat> it says, uh, um, it goes on, here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witnessed that he lives. Even Levi, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, so to speak. For he was still in the loins of his father when Melchizedek met him. Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need, would, uh, what further need was there that another priest should arise according to the order of Melchizedek and not be called according to the order of Aaron? It says, uh, for the priesthood changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. For he of whom these things are spoken belongs to another tribe from which no man has officiated at the altar. For it is evident that our Lord, speaking of Jesus Christ, arose from Judah, of which tribe Moses said nothing concerning the priesthood. And it is uh, yet far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of fleshly commandment, but according to the power of an endless life. For he testifies, again, he calls attention. This is the fulfillment of the prophecy of the Old Testament. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Not a priest for a time, but a priest forever, because he, he's living a resurrected eternal life. Verse 18, for on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God inasmuch as he was not made the priest without an oath. For they who have become priests without an oath, uh, for they, speaking of the Levitical uh, priests, become priests without an oath. They're born into it. But he, Jesus, with an oath by him who said to him, the Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. Now you're saying this is from God Almighty. It's a declaration. It has more power. 
by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Now, I could have just gotten up here and said, you need to pay tithe because the Bible tells you so. All right? But I'm trying to teach you a, a, a very significant understanding of what the tithe represents so that you do it with purpose and with meaning that it's, it's meant to have. All right? So you understand why we do that. And this passage explains it, but it is a little complicated. And I'm hope, I hopefully we'll be able to uh, lead you through it to understand. The primary pr- purpose of this passage is to communicate or to establish that Christ replaces the Levitical priesthood and brings a new covenant. We all agree to that, right? So that's the place, and that's the purpose of the book of, of, of Hebrews, is that how Christ fulfills all that was in the old, and he brings in a new covenant. But in this context, it directly addresses the practice of tithing, which was an essential aspect of the old covenant. Everybody that read this book tithed every, you know, that was just part of their life. It was part of the culture. It was part of the whole system, the economy of, of the Hebrew nation. And he was explaining that this very important aspect of, of the culture and, and how, how it demonstrates your relationship with God, it has a place in the new covenant, and this is how. So it's talking about Jesus bringing a new covenant, but it's also using the instrument or the, uh, the, the uh, dynamic or the object of tithing uh, as a uh, 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 a way to explain the transition from old to new. We see a relationship established between Abraham and Melchizedek. All right? Right? Abraham meets Melchizedek. So tith- uh, the main thing, if you don't remember anything else about this message, remember this. Tithing is about relationship. Let's say that together. Tithing is about relationship. That's, that's the bottom line. Right? It's about relationship between Abraham and Melchizedek. In this interaction, this very significant interaction according to the Bible, the tithe was an essential aspect of it. Uh, Melchizedek clearly represents Christ. Through all these different ways, the author of Hebrews has, has made that clear. And so, therefore, this is really about the relationship between Abraham and Christ. How did Abraham relate to Christ? Abraham tithed to Jesus in the form of Melchizedek. So uh, we're not talking about the Mosaic Law. We're talking about Abraham. Jesus said in another context to the Jews who claimed to be children of Abraham, (laughs) he says, if you were children of Abraham, you would do the works of Abraham. Well, this is one of the works of Abraham, is tithing. It's one of the ways that we demonstrate we're a child of Abraham. He's the father of faith. Right? So it's it's basically understanding that we're going from, we're no longer under the Mosaic tradition and law, but we come back into a relationship similar to Abraham where it's based on faith. We're saved by faith, and therefore we do the acts of faith, and that act, as demonstrated in this this interaction, is, is the giving of the tithe. And even all of the Levites... For all of those years, they were actually tithing to Jesus through Abraham, vicariously. So even that was a relationship. They didn't understand it, but the New Testament is saying, this is what was really going on, folks. This is opening up uh, the cover and looking under the hood of, how, of what was actually happening. So the question is, <clears throat> um, it says uh, in verse 8, it says, Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them. 
right? We get it. Here mortal men receive tithes, but there he receives them, of whom it is witness that he lives. Well, this is important about tithing in the New Testament. Here is referring to the Mosaic law and tithing to the Levites in that verse. Do you get that? Here mortal men receive it, mortal men the Levites uh, receive the tithe. But there is referring to Abraham and his interaction with Melchizedek, who is a figure of Christ. There, uh, uh, Christ received them. All right? <clears throat> it says, uh, 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 there he receives them, of whom it was a witness that he lives. So the question is, where are we now? Here or there? There. There. Everybody, you're not here. <laughs> Do you get that? Does that mean we're crazy? <laughs> I'm not here. We're there. Who's on first? What's on second? Okay, because here refers to under the law. Are we under the law? No, of course. We're not under the law. We're under grace. We're, we're saved by faith. We're children of Abraham by faith. So we're not under law, it means we don't tithe the Levite. Okay? The mechanism of establishing relations is the same. The relationship has changed. Uh, we don't tithe the Levite. Um, we are now in Christ. And so like Abraham, we tithe to Christ. All right? uh, it's no longer, <clears throat> it's not about if we uh, tithe, but who we tithe to. That's what changed. What, what, what changed? It was not if, but who. Because the, the if, the, the actual giving is just part of establishing and it's a dynamic of a relationship. So no, do not take your tithe down to that, 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 that synagogue on, on Stadium Street where the Jews meet. Because right? you don't have to give tithes to Levite anymore. Now to you and I, you're thinking, well, you know, I don't know about all this. Listen, the people who read this, this was absolutely revolutionary. If a, if, a, if a young man came home to his father and said, look, at," and he had this, this pamphlet called Hebrews, <clears throat> says, look, Dad, it says here that we're not supposed to give to the Levitical priesthood. We're supposed to tithe you know, to Christ. That the father would have, would have probably killed his son, would have certainly stood up and screamed, screamed and shouted if he was not a believer in Christ. He says, no, that's blasphemy. You know, it cuts to the one of the core fundamental ideas of what it means to be a follower of Jehovah. You know, it's a radical transformation. It's an upheaval. But you see, the reason being is that uh, in the transition from the old covenant of the Mosaic traditions and, and relating to the people of, of Israel is fulfilled and that Christ came to relate to all the peoples of the whole world. All right? And so the, the fulfillment includes relating to everyone. And so it's, 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 it's a fulfillment of the old brought into the new. Who we tithe to is Jesus because he's not a, a Levite, uh, part of a particular tribe and ethnicity, but he's Christ, the Messiah who comes to save all men of all races. And so that's who we tithe to, right? Why? <clears throat> Next slide says, uh, because the priesthood of Christ is greater than Levi. I mean, that's radical for a Jewish person. It's just a, it's a, it's a radical thing, but it's true. And the law of Christ is greater than the law of Moses. All right? And Christ is greater than Abraham. Why do we tithe? It's because of these things. 
In giving your tithe, you're declaring these truths. All of these truths were declared by the early believers when they chose to stop giving their tithe to the, the Hebrew synagogue. And this took a time. There was a transition. A lot of people don't understand. It actually took decades uh, for, for the church to transition uh, uh, you know, from a sect of, of Judaism to a separate uh, religion. And it, it happened at different speeds in different places, but there was a transition there. And early believers, especially if they were brought up Jewish, uh, really had to struggle with this. And, and, and this book is saying, listen, tithing is really about your relationship to Jesus Christ. And it's not about the Levitical priesthood, that there's a new priesthood, and the high priest is Jesus. And so that's why it's right to tithe to the, Jesus and not to Levi any longer. So according to this passage, it's Jesus who receives our tithes. Um, Abraham's relationship was established the demonstrating uh, uh, through his giving of the tithe and, uh, and receiving of the bread and the wine. I, I skipped over a part. Maybe I skipped over a whole page. Isn't it interesting? I'll just tell you. When, and Melchizedek came out to greet Abraham, what did he bring? Do you remember? He brought bread. And he brought wine. Another way that Melchizedek uh, uh, was a picture of Jesus Christ bringing bread, bringing wine, and also a blessing. All right? And so we celebrated communion, uh, the bread representing the body, the, the wine representing the blood. All right? And, and Abraham's response was to receive the blessing and to give a, a portion, proportional giving, to return a, a tithe. And so he's saying, listen, this is your interaction. This was Abraham's interaction with Christ. And we are children of Abraham through faith. And so we are to interact in the same way. Not to Levi, but to Jesus. All right? Another way that Melchizedek represented um, uh, Jesus Christ, and the fulfillment is in Jesus Christ, that we now have a relationship uh, with uh, God through faith in Jesus Christ, and therefore we need to do the same acts that, uh, that uh, Abraham did in receiving the blessing, receiving the bread, receiving the wine, and giving the tithe. Um, let's see, we no longer come to God through the Levitical priesthood. They functioned as intermediaries a go-between, between, between uh, uh, the people and God. They needed a priesthood. That's no longer the case. We come as sons and daughters because we're in this, we're, we're all priests and kings. We're all adopted into the family through Christ, right? And so we, come, we don't need intermediaries. So that's a major transformation, again, from the old to the new. And, and it's and it's actually worked out or it's demonstrated. One of the ways that that's demonstrated is when you tithe. You're saying you're living in this new covenantal relationship based on faith. And part of it is confession, but the other part is actually tithing. Abraham did it. If you're a child of Abraham, who is the father of faith, then you should too. All right? It's a demonstration of, of, of the faith that's in your heart. So in uh, verse uh, 18, it says, For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment because of its weakness and unprofitableness, uh, for the law made nothing perfect. On the other hand, there is a bringing in of a better hope through which we draw near to God. 
So uh, what is annulled? The tithe? No. All right? It's not the tithe that's annulled. It's the Levitical priesthood. We, don't, we no longer tithe to them. Uh, and the law is fulfilled. This is the fulfillment. Uh, uh, and the fulfillment is a better hope through which we draw near to God. What's that? It's our relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, so like Abraham, we give to Christ and we receive a blessing in return. So how do you give to Jesus Christ? Well, let me tell you. The church is the body of Christ, right? The church is the body. The church are the hands of Christ. And so you want to put something in Christ's hand, you put it in the church's hand, all right? We function, the church functions as the representation of the church. Now, we are all the church, and this is how it works. When you give to the church, you all benefit. You come and enjoy the blessings, the fellowship. You come and sit in a warm building, and all that is provided, you are coming and eating of the, of the offering that you give by participating and by build, bringing relationship. It's fulfilling koinonia. And so this is why <clears throat> when the tithe is still a New Testament practice, what has changed is who you give your tithe to because a tithe is all about establishing a relationship and in the New Testament you establish your relationship with Jesus Christ by giving Jesus in the form of his church the tithe um, uh, uh, it's an act again it's an act of, of uh, living out the covenantal relationship that demonstrates you're in Christ the justifier and you're uh, serving the king of peace and the king of righteousness now um, this, this, this message wasn't about how a person can afford the tithe, and that's a whole other thing about living, uh, learning how to live uh, financial, uh, financially in a way that enables you to give, uh, you know, 10% is a, is a, a significant portion of, of your income. <clears throat> and sometimes you have to deal with debt issues and you have to deal with budgeting issues. And, and that's a whole other teaching. We're going to have a class on that, I think, in February. Uh, on, on finance, there's lots of resources. We all know that, but the principles of understanding that tithing is about relationship and being in the right relationship is important. Next week, I'm going to take some time. We're going to talk a little bit more about giving, and then we'll just take uh, a time during the during the sermon time to pray a prayer of forgiveness. Uh, one thing I, I found that when people realize the significance, or they're ready to accept that yes, tithing is. Is something I should be doing, but I haven't. There's often guilt and shame, or condemnation, uh, and you know God doesn't want you to be bound by that. And we're just going to break that off and pray a forgiveness prayer, um, and, and and lift that off. I don't want anybody to be operating on a condemnation. Christ has come to make us free, and He wants to free you to live in the fullness of Koinonia uh, life. Uh, right? Amen. Uh, Tori's got some announcements. That was great. Awesome. I'm Tori. I'm the administrator here. And I just wanted to